Welcome to Resi Talks. I'm Amarosa, EG's residential editor, and in this episode, I'm digging into housing demands for the next London mayor. On Thursday, as voters took to polling stations across the capital, I sat down with Liz Peace, former chief executive of the BPF and chair of the Old Oak Park Royal Development Corporation, Jonathan Seeger, executive director of policy at London First, and John Walker, former Westminster planning director and executive director at consultancy CT Local. In this podcast, we discuss planning, affordability, why Liz Peace wants to shout at her boss, and rent controls, among other topics. The conversation begins reflecting on the current Mayor Sadiq Khan's reluctance to engage with the industry, and with John Walker explaining why that needs to change. What developers want is a little bit of certainty. And developers will say, listen, we don't want to spend an awful lot of money if this scheme is going to be a no hope, we just need a basic green light that's subject to the details and all that usual thing, that we are going to get something at the end of the, the adventure. If, if it's going to go nowhere, tell us now and we'll spend our money elsewhere. That's what the development industry wants. And they need that from the top decision makers, uh, not from planning officers who uh, can't really inform them whether the decision maker is going to play politics on it at the end. And they spent a lot of money in putting the scheme in. So the first thing really is have informed me- meetings with developers and just let them know roughly, yep, this has got legs in it, proceed, or no, don't bother, and they will go and spend their money elsewhere. They need a little bit of a steer when it comes to acquiring sites and investing in it, and they haven't got that at the moment. And that's why so many investors have stopped investing in London. I think, and just picking up some of some of John's points, I mean, first of all, just in terms of the sort of political landscape in London, the trouble is it's, it's not very straightforward because, I mean, the, the relationship between the mayor and the boroughs, and, and, you know, I've sort of seen this through the Homes for Londoners board and the work I did on on a, a little sort of subgroup that I was that I was chairing for that. So not, there's often not agreement between the GLA and the boroughs and the distribution of power is, you know, somewhat uh, some, somewhat uncertain. So developers, you know, are left with a, a fair degree of uncertainty about who to talk to, even if they talk to somebody, is it going to get overturned? Um, you know, I think I think we I think we really, really need some sort of serious clarity. But the second point, now I've a lot of sympathy for the mayor's position. I've got to say that I work for him. Um, but, um, this is um, true, Liz. We have put you on the spot. <laughs> I, I do have some sympathy because you know London has an affordability problem and he wants to set some very stringent criteria to try and address that. The trouble is if you set the sort of stringent criteria he sets, that makes development unviable. So the only way you can actually get around that is by some degree of, of, of subsidy from somebody at some layer or other, you know, be it a national, be it, be it, be it local authority. And that's not been the easiest thing in the world. And, you know, we know, we know governments are sort of strapped for, for cash. So, so in a way, it's, a, it's an insoluble problem. You know, you, you can't sort of produce the sort of price the mayor wants to produce for those who need them in London, you know, without some degree of public subsidy. How are you actually going to, to, to square that circle? Because you can't expect developers um, to, to, well, they do provide the subsidy sort of by way of a tax, but, you know, only, only so far. They can't they can't do absolutely everything, which is why you've got to get really creative you know, and start to try and sort of find ways of of unlocking new new models. Yeah, I, th- I think the, the point about the mayor's interaction with the industry, um, you know, pe- people have 
just have to accept that. Uh, they, they, they've got used to it. They uh, work around it. It's not like there aren't other people at City Hall that don't engage, um, you know, uh, spend more time chatting to the industry. You know, he has a an able group of deputy mayors that, that engage very well. Um, I think there is a, there, you know, there is a bigger issue at play uh, when you sort of come to say, you know, what's the mayor done and what would he like to do and whoever the new mayor may be. Uh, and that's really about how his powers and, and Liz touched on this and the amount of money that the mayor has mm -hmm. is, you know, it, it, it's kind of good, but it's it's nowhere near where we actually need it to be. Uh, you, you've got a new affordable housing settlement that's uh, £4 billion. That's down from the last affordable housing settlement. That money is spread over four or five years. You know, realistically, London needs about five billion per annum on affordable housing grant alone. And and the mayor's settlement, you know, from government lasts for five years and at, at, at that quantum. So there's a huge gap between the resource that we need um, and, and what we have. So, you know, certainly this mayor over the last uh, period of office has, has worked within the constrained parameters. That's not to say that we don't think more can be done and, and we would certainly like to see a new mayor be bolder on a whole range of things um, but things aren't perfect and of course there's been a difficult political interaction between uh, the government and this mayor and, and that's putting it diplomatically. On that latter point, I think it's a really, really interesting one. And, you know, I've been asking various people who profess to know the politics better than I do. You know, if Mayor Sadiq were to win a, a resounding victory, which, you know, the, the polls would suggest he's going to, surely, you know, there, there would have to be, or central government would have to engage rather more positively with him. You know, if the people have spoken, it's no good them railing against the fact that they have this popular Labour mayor in London. You know, the government needs to engage. And one particular expert I was talking to, said he reckoned there was six months uh, you know post an election victory assuming Sadiq uh, were to win because you know the, the the prime minister will ring up Sadiq and congratulate him now at that point you know Sadiq and the prime minister need to agree to do something together and to put their put their political partisan thoughts aside and and you know I just really really hope both sides do because I think that's what we that's what we need I think that's been a kind of a central point in Sean Bailey's argument, really, hasn't it? That to avoid that kind of the fieriness that we've seen between Sadiq Khan um, and central government, is it is it realistic to think that will go away? Though I don't know. What do you think, John? I don't. I don't think it will. To be honest, no. I think the mayor needs to focus on what he's elected for, London, and keep out of national politics and being a regular commentator about what's happening yep. nationally. Yep. He needs to focus on London. That, that's what he's there for. I, I don't agree with his proposed rent controls. I don't believe rent controls have worked anywhere in the world. Um, all it's done is made it worse for uh, lower paid workers. That's what the evidence shows. Yeah. It's been a disaster in Berlin recently where uh, it's gone through the courts, decreed to be illegal. And now my understanding is that landlords are saying to future tenants, you need to pay us the, the, the back pay of rent that we didn't get because of the illegal rent controls. It's been tried in Sweden, in Stockholm. Over 20% of renters have admitted they've made illegal payments uh, to get uh, 
onto the renting ladder where there are rent controls. So you get a, a healthy black market on rent controls. Landlords start to sell rather than rent out. So you're going to start to uh, diminish the uh, rental sector if you do it. I know groups like Shelter have spoken against it. It's been described as economic literary. I mean, it's just a really mm. appalling idea. You'll enter, you'll enter, introduce a new black market where if you know a, a flat is worth a thousand pounds a week and you're paying seven hundred pounds a week, you'll sublet it. So there'll be a black market. People will abuse the system. It's not a good idea. There's been a lot said about the talk of rent controls. For the London Mayor, they, it's not within their power to enact this. But would you say that this sort of looming cloud of rent controls is deterring or could deter investment um, in terms of the kind of institutional investment into build to rent? I think, as John has commented, you know, there, there is much evidence to suggest that, that rent controls don't ultimately work in terms of when you're trying to deliver new homes. But I would certainly say, politically, you cannot ignore the fact that that the cost of housing in London is extremely high. And the state of the general private rented sector in London is not great. Um, now, the issue with rent controls, as, as John has alluded to, is, of course, that unfortunately, you know, it sort of potentially can deliver some benefits for some, but it will it will potentially choke off people building new homes, which is, of course, what we desperately need. So there. I don't, you know, I think many are very dismissive of the call uh, and, as you say, uh, the prospects of it being introduced by whoever are, are you know, frankly, uh, not really on the horizon because the government isn't interested in it. It requires the government to, to legislate for it. But I, I, you know, this is not going away. The issue of affordability is not going away. And we need to, you know, think creatively about how uh, we can help both in terms of you know existing tenants uh, and you know certainly for example the build to rent sector I think have a range of initiatives that, that are trying to help particularly around the length of leases and, and and things like that fundamentally it is about probably you know trying to get more money into uh, affordable housing um, uh, and uh, you know that they those are homes for rent they're obviously you know it's not the build to rent product um, and, and we would like to see a new mayor, I think, from our perspective, certainly double down on its support for the building sector. But, but uh, I can understand why politicians bang on about this, even though they know perhaps the prospects of actually getting in uh, uh, any, any powers on it are, are limited, because for, for you know, most Londoners, they are looking at the cost of housing and sort of scratching their heads. Mm. Uh, I mean, I, I agree with Jonathan. You know, I spent all my my 13 years at the BPF, sort of arguing strenuously uh, against any form of rent control. I mean, I agree with John. It's just been proved, you know, all around the world, it it does not work. But on the other hand, we do we have a problem. People cannot afford to live in London, and and the cost of renting, you know, is is going up and up. And I used to have this interesting argument with my colleagues in the BPF that we're promoting the concept of, of of, of renting. We we want to see a strong rental sector, but it's it's no good suggesting it's affordable if it isn't affordable. You know, we've got to sort of look at ways of actually making it a more affordable product. 
And that's where I think you get into some interesting questions about why it's so expensive. So is it about land supply, which I guess we're going to we're going to we're going to talk about. And, and interestingly, that was something that came out very strongly when I ran this little subgroup for the homes for the Londoners board, that, that actually it was more about finding the right land in the right scale with the right assembly that would bring in the sort of you know, LNGs of this world. I had an mm. LNG guy on my on my working group. So, you know, that's perhaps one angle. Um, Jonathan, you know, will no doubt talk a little bit about the work we've been doing on the on the land fund as well. So, looking at ways of bringing more money in. So, bringing more land, bringing more money, and and find some way of controlling prices. Then you won't need rent control. You'll let the market control the uh, c- control the pricing. But somehow or other, we've got to deal with the pricing of this. It's not affordable. I think on the on the the land, you know, it's hard to look anywhere else but to say, you know, we do have an issue with with land supply. Um, now there are many different avenues you can go down about trying to uh, address that. But certainly one of the things, as Liz has mentioned, that uh, she was kind enough to to lend her time to some work that that we've done recently in conjunction with PwC, which was around the idea of a land fund, which you know we were pleased that we sort of advocated this mayor to establish when he first got into power and, and he did and put 250 million into it got a, just under 500 million from the government for various initiatives which then went into it so a sort of you know roughly 700 and something million to make an, some interventions in that space and and actually you know it has proved to be successful the mayor stepping in bringing some sites forward which are potentially hard to bring forward that's the key. It, it's all about additionality. There are, there are lots of brownfield sites in London, but many of them are in challenging circumstances, whether yeah. that be because they need significant amount of remediation or because they're in complex ownership uh, or because they need infrastructure investment to unlock them. Uh, and actually, the GLA, say, a proof of concept, you know, they've gone about doing this quite well. Um, our point being that you just need more investment behind that. So, you know, we've called for a a land fund too, um, and and we think that could attract at least a billion pounds of investment over a ten-year period. Could probably support twenty thousand new homes, and certainly we would like to see whoever sitting in city hall come uh, next week to to be you know pushing ahead with that idea uh, strenuously. And and you know there, there's sort of no reason why you can't crack on and do these things now. It clearly requires a bit of sort of seed funding. Um, it requires the GLA to, to you know, think about the resource it has internally to manage these things. But beyond that, I, you know, I think there are there are lots of you know skills and capacity within City Hall that you could harness straight away to get on and do these things. And of course, you can work in partnership with a whole range of people. It's it's not just about private investment. You can work with local authorities. Uh, you can work with uh, you know local authorities pension funds as well. Interestingly. So there's a whole range of stakeholders that could be brought into this. Uh, and, you know, it, it's got to be it's it's one of the sort of several things that need to be done. But it's certainly yeah. one of the things that, you know, we think somebody should progress. I'd, Emma, I'd, I'd be interested to hear John's uh, views just around sort of land and, and site availability, because uh, I was sort of quite struck by, you know, when you when you actually start to unpick who's got land in London, mm. um, that then, you know, clearly um, GLA, have a little bit left, but probably not much of their own. Local authorities have got a huge amount. There's other organisations within the sort of GLA family that have access to land. Um, you know, so you're, you're looking at the fire brigade, the police, you know, the transport for London. Um, the, you know, 
put together with the boroughs, you know, I'm sure there must be some way of sort of a bit more of a sort of coming together to to look at how you could assemble some of these sites. And then you find slap bang in the middle as a bit of private land. So you use your land fund to to f facilitate the acquisition of that. And suddenly you've actually got a potential site that could be quite valuable. But I, I just felt there wasn't enough coordination. Yeah. I mean, I'm not knocking the boroughs, John. I know you you know all about boroughs in London, but <laughs> I just feel there could be some more coordination to identify the sites, you know, and then you can sort of move on to, as Jonathan says, to leverage in yeah. leverage in investment. I think we need to do more on CPO paths about uh, yeah. using those paths. And, and let's not forget that the public sector can borrow money mm -hmm. at far better rates than the private sector does. So in terms of um, uh, private land needing investment in the, in the infrastructure to make it work. The public sector can borrow the money, uh, grant grant aid that piece of infrastructure, and get the money back at the end of the development. The developer can pay it back. Uh, I don't see enough of that taking place, to yeah, be honest. I agree. And yeah. I think also when it comes to affordable housing, it's quite simple. Proper affordable housing is provided by the state. That's where you get affordable housing. So the state needs to gear up and build. Let's not call it council housing. Let's call it something else. But the state needs to be building the affordable housing. That's where you will get people that can come into London at affordable rents. They need to build that up. You can't rely on the private sector to meet your affordable housing needs. It's the elephant in the room. Yeah. Councils can can uh, lend money at very, very good rates, build the housing and then rent it out. And that's what they need to do. And they need to be set targets to do it by government and by the next mayor. I, I wholeheartedly agree with, with John's point there. Um, the challenge is, you know, thus far, for, since the 70s, we know the state isn't willing to, to step up. Um, and, you know, I mean, obviously there have been generalisation since we were building huge amount of homes in, in nationally and in London, and, and that was largely led by the state and the private sector have always sort of roughly built you know, give or take the same amount that it that it always has. Now, there's more that can be done to up the private sector's game. There's there's more that can be done, I'm sure, to support housing associations that, who, who of course, have been forced down a more commercial route by, by government policy, but that brings its own challenges. Um, so, you know, the state is the missing actor in, in this sort of housing drama. Um, the problem is that nobody seems to be willing you know we fantastic rhetoric from several governments uh but nobody's really getting out the checkbook and stumping it up and and so again it's something that we we're calling for the next mayor to think really hardly about what private investment into affordable housing could look like so that you know this is this is happening already so we are having more and more for-profit rps being established we're having more and more pension funds, institutional investors of some kind, doing deals with housing associations. You know, they already housing associations already freely go into the bond market. You know, this is happening. And I suppose our point to, the, to a new mayor would be sometimes these are politically difficult things uh, to, to, to grip. But you can either sort of stand on the sidelines and, and watch this happen, or actually you can actively get involved you can shape it and you can harness it. And, uh, you know, we think there is huge potential for the, a new mayor to bring forward some kind of vehicle which, working in concert with local authorities, uh, could, 
could actually start to really attract private investment into affordable housing, which, as, as John said, you know, you can call it whatever you want um, and you can and, and no doubt there is something in the branding of that. Um, but but there is a huge role here, but it, it does require, you know, there's a bit of technical issues, I'm sure, that need to be overcome. But it's it's more of a mindset and it's more of a of an attitude of, you know, you can stand on the sidelines and we can all moan that the government isn't going to give us the investment that we need because you know, we just know that that's a fact. What, what we're going to do about it? And, uh, and we would encourage a new mayor to, to think bold in this, in this space. And, and we will certainly be publishing some thoughts over the summer about how, how they can do that. And I mean, that's different from just you know try, trying to get the affordable housing almost by sleight of hand through Section 106. You know, that, that, that's the sort of that's the cheat way of trying to do it. You know, confront it, confront it actually head on, you know, find vehicles or create vehicles that can mm. actually fund it rather than trying to sneak it in by the back door by by bullying through a planning system, bullying a, a, a developer to, to to provide it. And, you know, then you have endless bickering as they try and reduce the amount and you know all the sort of problems with it see this as a proper asset class into which you can encourage encourage real investment i mean it, it, it's a very secure investment it's never empty you know there's always a real stream <laughs> i mean i think that uh, the planning system's been distracted over the last 10 years or so on the affordable housing viability issue and more time is spent on arguing about viability yeah then actually, what's the scheme going to actually provide to the local community in the area? Yeah. And, and planners have lost sight of proper placemaking, good architecture, good public realm, uh, good mixed-use planning, because their, their remit is get as much affordable housing as you can get. If we could remove that debate from uh, a regeneration scheme in some way, we can get them to making sure that these developments are fit for purpose for the future. And of course, there's this sort of the looming spectre of a planning bill one is anticipating in the autumn. Every planning bill, John will know more, better than Liz and I, promises to be uh, simplified and, uh, you know, enhanced planning regime. And, and every planning reform uh, delivers a more complex and, and, and challenging system. You know, I think out of everything the government is potentially talking about uh, originally in its white paper, the bit that sort of I, I think will get developers very nervous is the proposal to introduce a, an infrastructure levy. So as, as Liz was saying, you know, that the idea that Section 106 is currently delivering lots of affordable housing, you know, and it's and it's not working very well, as John said, you know, it's it's challenging as viability, but you know, that's all going to be ripped up, allegedly, come the autumn. And Lord knows what that will then deliver. And its impact on affordable housing in London could be absolutely huge. Uh, so, you know, I think a mayor thinking now about other income streams that will support affordable housing would be a very, very sensible idea because I, I you know, I do worry where, where national reform goes. I mean, what you said just terrifies me. I've got the scars, of course, from, from, from trying to look at a at a sensible way of getting some sort of levy that people wouldn't argue with, that they'd actually pay, that would give the right amount of money. I mean, it it, it is the most appallingly difficult conundrum to try and deal with. But certainly from what was proposed in the original, was it a green paper or a white paper? I can't remember. White paper. It was a white paper. It, it, I mean, it was that white, was, but it was very green. It was white <laughs> with, with quite a lot of green overtones, absolutely. And, and you know, there was just this sort of extraordinary throwaway couple of lines of, you know, we're going to introduce 
some form of new infrastructure levy, you know, do away with everything else. It was it was just horrifyingly oversimplistic. Uh, and I agree with you. I think, you know, this this could um, this could presage uh, disaster. So uh, I think the so. idea that it's going to replace uh, Section 106 agreements is is just you know total naivety. Yeah. Uh, Section 106 agreements are used for a whole suite yeah. uh, thing. So you know Section 106 actually has to stay in in some form or another. Yeah. Uh, but let's not forget that before we had all this crisis, and plan. I remember a planning regime where you didn't ask for affordable housing. You, you know, all housing was seen as good. Yeah. The public sector was building its quota. Yeah. Roughly 50% of all housing was being done by the public sector. The other half was being done by the private se- sector. And it worked. And there weren't lengthy debates about the mind of affordable housing. You were there to make sure the regeneration scheme worked. And you could focus on good buildings, good design and placemaking. Um, the, the, the whole centre stage has been taken by the affordable housing debates about how much mm-hmm. affordable housing you're getting. And, and planning's been getting a bad name because people are saying, well, I don't like to look at that building, whatever, because there's, there's, it's been lost um, on the mar of, of affordable housing. And I would say to anybody, in 20, 30 years' time, when somebody looks at a building that went up today and says, well, that could have been better or whatever, uh, and the answer is yes, but we got 50% affordable housing. They'll just look <laughs> right, at the yeah. and say that mm. was not a price to bear for a poor building. Yeah. We've got to get back to basics. Mm. There's far too many ingredients in planning that's bolt on, bolt on, bolt on. I remember when I first started on planning, I could recite the general permitted development order, uh, what needed permission, what what did, what didn't. You can't do that anymore. When somebody says, could this be permitted development? You've got to get out reams of material now to check whether it needs prior approval, this, prior approval, that. It has got far too complicated. So you're in favour of white paper, green paper, or there should be reform, you would I say, I think John? we need to simplify planning. I think we, we yeah. need to ensure that some things drop in the building control. There's a lot of sustainability issues that should sit with building control. And planning should get down to the basics. What does a building look like? What what is it being used for? What's the public realm around it like? Are you protecting the amenity of neighbours? And take an awful lot of the red tape plethora that planners have to take into mm. account now and just get back to basics. But, but the problem is, you know, every piece of planning reform in the, the 20 years I've been involved in the industry and John, well, sorry, John, I'm not hinting you're old, but John goes back <laughs> even further. <laughs> you know, every piece of planning reform, it does not simplify. It, it, right. It's simply sort of added on and it's layer upon Old layer point. upon layer. So, so, you know, I have to say I, I'm deeply sceptical about the ability of any government yeah. to, to actually introduce a simplified system. They'll start off by saying we'll sweep this away and replace it with in in practice. What will happen is new layers will be will be imposed and we'll have something even more, even more complicated. But if if you took affordable housing sort of out of the planning system, which I think is what John's suggesting, which is you know, and, and Section 106 goes back to what it always was meant to be, which is dealing with the the the, the planning issues without the solution of which you would not grant planning permission. I think I've got that sort of broadly right. And then you looked at alternative means of dealing with affordable housing through state intervention. That would actually make the planning system simpler. Is this what some of the kind of the candidates have suggested? Um, most of them seem to have a um, city hall developer. Is that something that a city hall developer could potentially do? Or does this need to come from central government? 
I think, I mean, the, the City Hall developer is an interesting idea. I think it's, that's more orientated, I suppose, towards, I think, the London plan is, a, you know, a, a very significant power that the mayor has. Um, you know, the issue is that we don't yet know how that will interact with the government's planning reforms. Um, you know, we, we have uh, been assured that there is still a role for the London plan under the new system, but until you see a bill published, um, it's it's very hard to know how that all works. Uh, I think it is interesting and, and actually positive that there is does seem to be a consensus amongst the sort of major candidates for the for mayoralty that there should be some form of city hall developer. Uh, and you know, I, I think I think that could harness uh, a, a range of of things and 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 sort of you know very simplistically sort of do good. But the the way that you go about doing that is by really focusing on additionality. Um, and you've got to be you know, really careful that you're not just doing what the market would do or indeed crowding out local authorities, what they'd do. And I, and I think there, you know, I would say that there is a, a role for a city hall to develop a, in, in first order to work in strong partnership with local authorities to support their building aspirations. You know, I think it's a good thing that many local authorities in London set up their own development companies some have performed well, some have really struggled. Um, you know, what they need is uh, perhaps a greater sense of coordination from City Hall, and they need to be working then through essentially that vehicle with the private sector. If you really want to get up to scale through that process, you just need to be working in partnerships. It's, it's not about going it alone, it's actually about working with experienced developers in London. Um, uh, and you know, good that everybody's talking about that. Um, but but I would I would say it's, it's about partnership rather than you know the mayor sort of going out and building on his own. There's an interesting point about the relationship between the GLA and you know and the boroughs. Back back to this point because most of the boroughs, well, a large number of the boroughs have have got their own development companies. We we did a report on it from the Centre for London uh, a few years ago called the the borough builders. But it, it's pretty subscale on the whole you know there's there, there's no significant numbers in that the trouble is there's all the overheads associated with doing that 32 times or or whatever it is and we're going to see the the uh, the GLA come in and do their own i mean that sounds like all a bit wasteful to me you know a, a, a much greater degree of coordination you know one london wide development company that builds effectively council housing except we're not going to call it council housing are we john but you know we we know what we mean um so i i have i sort of have no problems with it now the, the the GLA isn't going to sort of start hiring builders. You know they're going to have to work with somebody in the private sector to deliver this. Uh, so it, you know it is all about coordination, take out the duplication, have a clear strategy, and work with the private sector to deliver it. There's plenty of people out there in the private sector who will who will work with the GLA. You know if if only they can have the have the right interaction, the right dialogue, and we can find the right financial structures. Not to mention the land, of course, chuck that in. But uh... I, I agree. I think partnership is very important. Jonathan's mm. absolutely right. These things have to be done in partnership with the re re relevant local authority, uh, with the GLA, uh, with, with the private sector. If they work together, you get far better results. If, if people try to run roughshod over the other, it just doesn't really work and you just get friction and, and nobody benefits from it. But there's no reason why partnership working can't happen. Uh, people just have to bang their heads together and, and make it happen. 
Do you think, uh, John, I, I mean, do, do you think the GLA sort of needs more power to bang heads together in the boroughs? Uh, um, or is that just too potentially controversial? You know, the, the, the boroughs are so very jealous of their own their, their own position. Uh, I think it's like everything else in life. There are good boroughs in London. I think most of them are good. I think London's pretty lucky to have so many uh, effective planning departments and uh, um local authorities in, in, in the main, but there are bad ones as well that just don't want to play ball. So the question is that for those local authorities that are not coming to the party, should the mayor have extra powers? I think the mayor probably should do. If, if, if a local authority clearly is not meeting its housing targets and doesn't seem to be uh, interested in meeting them, we know who they are, uh, the mayor should have some additional powers. I think also, um, slightly change the subject, the mayor should be pushing for uh, London tax raising powers. Uh, let, let London set its own taxes to raise the money to invest back in London. That's something that's been debated for a long time, but I think it needs to happen. Of course, first advocated by our now Prime Minister, who uh, I suspect <laughs> will uh, unfortunately conveniently um, not act upon previous sentiment. Um, it's something that, you know, there is a strong unified voice i think from the business community from local authorities in london around you know greater devolution some element of that should be fiscal uh, you know when you look at london as a world city and the amount of um taxes it is able to raise and spend you know it's it's minuscule compared to other global yeah. cities we um, all know public money is going to be scarce over the next 10 years because there's a big covid bill to pay and we all know there's this leveling up um uh, fund and this uh, idea of uh, leveling up the country by more investment going elsewhere in the UK. And fair enough, I, I totally get why that's happening. But if that's going to happen, and therefore there's less money to spend in London, the South East, um, then those areas should be given pause to raise taxes, Lim limited, but they should be given pause to raise extra taxes to meet the funding gap that there's likely to be over the next 10 years. Have you seen any of the candidates suggest that or back that that sort of um, idea, John? I've I've not seen that actually. No. It's something that uh, uh, people have been silent on, but I think it's just one of those um, areas that really do need to be discussed because London can help itself. I mean, London can quite easily raise its own money through uh, tax funding, which which is not going to uh, overly affect uh, poorer people. Uh, there are various different ways of doing it. It's done elsewhere around the world. Yeah. Uh, London's one of the few capital cities globally that doesn't have these sort of powers to be able to help fund itself. We need Crossrail 2 to happen. It's just not going to happen in the next 10 years if it's down to the government. If if London was allowed to raise its own money to, to fund Crossrail 2, um, a, it's a major infrastructure uh, project that's going to provide a lot of employment, and B, it will open up swathes of parts of London for new residential development. So win-win for everybody. Just empower London and let London get on with it. I mean, it, it's an interesting point that um, I mean, we, we've had the London Finance Commission, we've had umpteen different reports over the last sort of five or ten years. I suspect you've done some, haven't you, Jonathan, at, at London First? You know, all suggesting that you need a greater degree of fiscal economy, uh, fiscal autonomy for London, and that it should have tax raising powers. I haven't actually seen that as a as a sort of big feature of the debate amongst the candidates. I mean, I was reading Mayor Sadiq's. Um, manifesto. I don't think that came out particularly and I, um, somebody can help me as to whether it's in some of the some of the others. So um, well, he's, I mean it's 
so as you say Liz you know we've participated in under the you know previous mayor um, Boris Johnson set up a London Finance Commission we we were active in that um, Sadiq Khan set mm -hmm. up a similar uh, sort of uh, a review in in light of the current circumstances and you know everybody's concluding a very similar story uh, and and I think certainly I know that Sadiq Khan is in favor of the concept I think it's and I and I would imagine that all of the mayoral major mayoral candidates are in favor of the concept that that's not the issue the issue is <laughs> the treasury yeah and it's centralized yeah. approach it's just very hard to to get away from that I, I think it's fair to say that you know there are some really bold calls for some really you know strong tax raising powers and I, you know I think that's that's probably too many jumps ahead, but there are some more modest, you know, incremental steps that that, that should perhaps first be piloted, tried. Um, these all look perhaps a bit tricky now because of the sort of pandemic and, and public finances. But but certainly, I think John makes a point well made, which is, you know, if the government is focused on levelling up, and we absolutely support a, a, a proportionate approach to investment across the country. It, it, it can't forget that, that London is contributing a huge amount to the tax base. And if we want to continue to invest across the country, it's about allowing London to work, you know, in concert with other cities uh, to, to potentially secure investment in its infrastructure pipeline. John mentioned a number of projects there, which are, are all really relevant and interesting. Um, but we will need some further powers to, to really hit home on that. I think the test case for this an interesting, you know, first challenge for uh, a new mayor will be, you know, getting uh, the future of TfL sorted. Um, it's it's absolutely central to, to London's housing debate, but it's also central to London's future as a global city. You know, a number of themes I think that we've touched on here about partnership, about, uh, you know, devolution to London, a whole range of issues collide and come together through through that particular issue. So it's it's a huge um, first job for any new mayor to, to sort out. Comes back to what I was saying, which is, you know, key to this is the relationship between London's mayor and central government. And and you know, I was I was depressed that John thought there was very little prospect of of of, of some degree of sort of agreement at least to work together to solve to solve problems. Uh, I, you know, it's difficult to see how you can make progress unless unless the prime minister of the day and the mayor of the day are prepared to actually sit down, roll up their sleeves and sort out some of these intractable problems like TfL, like affordable housing. It, it takes two to tango and yeah, they, just, yeah, they need to compromise. And if you look at the delays in the London plan because the secretary of state asked for changes. Oh, I'm not doing any changes oh, at yeah. all. Well, yeah. I'm going to make you do changes. I mean, it was all, almost infantile that they couldn't meet for a cappuccino or two and say, well, let's sort it out together and let's crack yeah. on. Yeah. I mean, that's the space we're in, which is which is not healthy yeah. for London, I've got to say. I, I, I agree. I agree entirely. Um, you, you know, you, you, you want to shout at both sides and say, you know, for goodness sake, stop it. Sit down, work it out. Um, you know, you, we need London. You're not going to level up the rest of the country without London being prosperous and successful. Uh, if London is damaged, it will damage the rest of the People country. forget uh, the knock-on benefits of, of London. I remember British Land did a, a very good exercise on a, a, a development they did in the city of London, and they, the paper was on 
the benefit of employment elsewhere yeah. in the UK. All the door handles, there were like 13,000 yeah. door handles. They came from Sheffield. Yeah. Yeah. The, the windows of the doors came from Northern Ireland. Such and such came from Scotland. The amount of employment that creates elsewhere, and that was just one building, mm. really shows the benefit of what happens in, in London. And it's easy to forget that. Uh, a shameless plug on, 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 on my part, but we are um, shortly to release some uh, economic analysis, which will sort of, you know, make the point about if you're trying to level up in uh, the UK, this is how London can help. Um, yeah. And, yeah. and I think that's the spirit yeah. of partnership yeah. that we need from uh, a new mayor. Um, yeah. You know, we're calling for a renewed London, essentially. You know, it's now about mm -hmm. post-COVID, a new mayor uh, working in partnership with government. Um, uh, but government does need to accept the points that John and Liz make around, you know, thinking about how London can contribute to that mm -hmm. leveling up agenda. Um, you know, London isn't an island. It, it doesn't want to be. Uh, and and it, it certainly shouldn't be viewed as that. It, it's an integral part of the UK. But it is, of course, in competition with other global cities. Mm. And, uh, and we need... Yeah. Yeah, we need a uh, we need an approach that that acknowledges that and and invests in London. I guess just to kind of finish off, is there you know if if Liz, you were to shout at everybody, um, what, would, <laughs> what would be kind of top of your list of priorities um, that should be kind of forefront? Well, mm, there's probably just too many. I sort of come back to what I, what I said a moment ago. Sit down and start talking. You know, get away from this confrontation. Um, you know, accept that London needs investment. It's no good saying all investment must now go somewhere else, not in London, because we need to level up. If you don't invest in keeping London as good as it is, then levelling up will never happen elsewhere in the country. So, you know, there's got to be a dialogue. Uh, and, and the two things you've got to talk about are transport and housing. I think that's where you've got to start. I'd just add to that um, the EV revolution and that London seriously needs to get its act together in terms of infrastructure. Um, too many Londoners uh, do not have access to front drive to put a charge point in. So there needs to be on street charging. It's the, the clean air that that's good. It's going to uh, arise from this. And people aren't going to buy electric vehicles if they don't see somewhere they can plug their cars in. So a lot more needs to be done on that. And public transport as well, because whilst people are converting to electric cars, if you see the sludge that comes out the back of a bus, we need to do an awful lot more to set the example by making sure that public transport is clean and green as well. And I don't think that's com coming forward fast enough. Yeah, three things for a new mayor to focus on uh, a recovery marketing campaign. You know, we need to get people back into the centre of London, we need to reanimate the CAS. Uh, the second thing is we need a transport system sorted, uh, you know, that addresses the system that we need now, but crucially one that we also need in the future. So there are whole long term challenges that need to be sorted. And thirdly, we need a mayor to focus on a reskilling plan for Londoners. You know, furlough uh, has taken its toll in London. Unemployment is traditionally higher in London than the rest of the UK. It's even higher now uh, than it previously was. Uh, there is a huge jobs challenge coming in London and we need a mayor to grip that as well.